Hashtag SAFM Life Happens. Welcome back, guys. It's time for that uh, music feature. And uh, today <laughs> we're talking about one of my favorite uh, artists, actually, uh, for my entire life, I think, Marvin Gaye. Uh, and we're talking to RJ Benjamin, who's an award-winning vocalist, songwriter, composer, vocal coach, musical director, and producer. Hello, RJ. Nice to talk to you again. I'm KG. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. So thank I, you. I I spent so much time online in preparation for this conversation that we're right. we're going to have you and me about yeah. Marvin Gaye, and I found an interesting piece of information that I'd never seen before, uh, yeah. w- w- which was the fact that it turns out the father who killed Marvin Gaye yeah. uh, was uh, himself a crossdresser. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I also found that. I could not believe it. I didn't I mean, know the, that. It's the most fascinating story. His father was... And I mean, the, I, I suppose the other crazy thing is his father was a Pentecostal minister. Yes. Um, and yet he, he would walk the streets as a cross-dresser, which... Uh, and and I, I don't know if you researched this, but it seems like a lot of people used to ridicule Marvin um, for his father's actions. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. And also for the fact that their surname was gay. And I think uh, uh, in those days, um, you know, uh, uh, homophobia was rife. Yeah, um, because I'm told it was written originally without the E at the end. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, Marvin's got a fascinating story. I'm surprised they haven't made a, some kind of biopic about his life. It's, it's, he has one of the most uh, incredible uh, journeys and stories, and especially given that right in the beginning like his father and him had such a um a, a, a torrid uh, um uh, uh, relationship yeah. it was just never good there was always friction there yeah um, but but some yeah. even go on to say um uh, RJ that there's yeah. a there was a level of almost resentment um yeah. i don't know if resentment is is the right word but it's I the only it's word, word i i can think of um yeah. that you know because when you're a, i'm i'm assuming I, and I, I don't go to the pentecostal church there's but there's a level of of being revered that all pastors everywhere have yeah. there's almost yeah. a level of superiority that you do get uh from your yeah. congregants from the community that you live in that you're not just anybody you are yeah. pastor so and so from this yeah. particular church and then you have a child that reaches the kind of fame levels that Marvin yeah. Gaye did, that means that to some extent it probably overshadowed Marvin Gaye's father's life's work. I definitely think so. I mean, I was I was watching some interviews on YouTube, and I mean, even bef- even when Mar- Marvin was, you know, a young man, um, still at church, uh, um, people kind of revered him already as this. Um, incredible musician, mm. um, and I think I, I think even I think the resentment started then. It's just crazy how it ended in such a tragic conclusion. Mm. Um, it, it, it's just it's 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 sadly. Um, I, I mean, I've spoken on the show before about how Sam Cooke um, got shot mm-hmm. um, tragically. How uh, you know Otis Redding died in a plane crash just before uh, you know sitting at the dock of the bay became his first number one hit mm-hmm. and, and Marvin's like another one in uh, of these incredible legendary soul R&B musicians who died so tragically yeah um, yeah. So, but, but, yeah but he also lived 
a very colorfully uh, uh, life, loved very colorfully. Oh. Um, uh, but, uh, but I, I don't think he was the kind of man who could sustain relationships for a very long time. But I suppose it's it's the struggle uh, that comes uh, with um, uh, with I think with tremendous amounts of fame uh, for for a lot yeah. of these men because I feel like sometimes the women uh, don't, don't just marry the man; they marry the man and the fame and everything that comes uh, uh, with the man. But I wanna I wanna yeah. I wanna delve also into finding out another fa- uh, factor mm. that kind of shocked me before we play the first song, no which problems, was yeah. he actually preferred to be in the studio much more than he did prefer to sing live. Now, you guys yeah. as musicians make yeah. your money uh, outside of just the studio, make your money from live performances. Right. That right. that blew me over. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I see, I can relate to that. Really? I, I'm a, I, uh, yeah, look, I, I absolutely love the studio. I think what I love about the studio is is the fact that you can, that, that, that you can create something that will last all time essentially um that uh, and it's a once in a lifetime thing i suppose performances are that as well but i, I always approach for example singing in a studio as this has to be the greatest vocal performance that i ever give of the song because this is the one that's going to play the most wow and 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 for me there's something i love about that but look i i, I definitely can see how Marvin uh, was like a um, a lover of studio because, uh, and especially once you delve into an album like What's Going On, which ultimately changed the game mm-hmm. for the entire uh, uh, sort of soul R&B It changed industry. an industry. It completely changed an, an, an industry. Um, but I mean, you know, if, if, if you even look at, you know, um, a song like um, Heard It Through the Grapevine, um, I mean, the story about that song is just so so cool because he uh, he 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 recorded his version before the Gladys Knight and the Pips version. Um, the song was written by Norman Whitfield, the, um, whose other I suppose massive song was "Papa Was a Rolling Stone." Mm-hmm. Um, but Barry Gordy and and Marvin Fulling Knight, and I suppose Barry Gordy must have been like a father figure. Mm-hmm. Always had arguments with Marvin, and and mm-hmm. the argument with with Marvin about her to the grapevine is it's too slow. This is never going to be a hit, you know. I mean, at this stage with, with Motown, everything was very much a, you know, a pretty high-paced, fast-paced music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Barry basically uh, canned the release of Marvin's version, and Gladys Knight's version got to number two on the charts. Mm-hmm. So Gladys Knight's version was a hit. Mm. It was a bona fide hit. Um, and then Barry Gordy agreed to put it on uh, one of Marvin's albums, um, uh, uh, I think the album's called In the Groove mm-hmm. and um, the song was not a single it was not intended to be a single but radio DJs um, around the US found the song on the album and started playing it without uh, uh, it needing to be a single the song started to blow up and bubble up and ultimately it had nothing to do with Barry Gordy um, Norman Whitfield wrote it and Marvin both believed in the song and wow. real, and bottom line is DJs were the ones who broke that song and made it 
what is arguably the greatest Motown song of all time. And let's do God's work now, we the DJs, and play the song that you just described so beautifully. (laughs) I heard it through the grapevine because uh, the DJs do God's work. So here's the Marvin Gaye song uh, that ultimately ended up going to number one after Barry Gordy, as you heard RJ say, said no to it. And then later on, it was the DJs that did God's work. Here's Heard It Through the Grapevine. Ah, beautiful. Uh, it's uh, 2.31 on uh, Life Happens with me, Khomoto Keiji Mwekezi. We are uh, focusing today uh, in our music feature on the music of uh, the late great Marvin Gaye with RJ Benjamin. Of course, he uh, so eloquently told the story of that song that we just played. Uh, 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 what's what's it called? I heard it through the grapevine. Gra- that word refuses to come out of my mouth, RJ. <laughs> now let's talk love with him. Um, yeah. um, again, there was... A, a docky uh, I saw online where he talks about the struggles he has. Did he call them women folk? What did what's there was a word that he used to describe uh, um, his, his sort of challenges yeah. with, with with women. But he also, when he did love, he seemingly loved very deeply. I suppose who doesn't loved very deeply? So. But was was a, um, a human being who seemingly, uh, from what I watched, also mm. suffered from bouts of depression, depending on where his love life was. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I think Marvin struggled with the the concept of monogamy Mm. um, to some degree. And and I think... uh, It was the 60s. It was the 60s. I mean, that is, this is true. It was a completely different time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, especially with regards to sort of patriarchy and, and where it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and again, you know, especially when you become this massive world-famous superstar um, and, and you've got so much attention. Uh, you know, the, the first person who, who, who kind of really became almost a bit of a mother figure, um, you know, he uh, was um, Barry Gordy's uh, sister, Anna. Mm. And, um, and I mean, uh, she kind of, when Marvin was brought into Motown, uh, she thought, wow, he has this cute, strapping young lad. She was smitten and with him. She, she really was. Yeah. She absolutely was. Um, and, and, I mean, they eventually got married. Um, you know, but I think that was that, that battle of that's the fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And then there's the fame, and there's that attention that sometimes uh, y- you receive after the fact um, from so many different angles. And um, I, I, I think for him, he didn't know how to how to grapple with that because he, he, did, he with- didn't stop being um, Marvin Gaye to his legions of fans, uh, irrespective yeah, of the fact that he had just gotten married. Whenever absolutely. he was performing, they were applying yeah. for his attention. And and Barry Gordy um, needed to capitalize on that. He didn't necessarily want the public to know that one of his male sex symbols uh, was was necessarily hitched mm, um, uh, to his sister. To be. Yes, absolutely. And and in actual fact, I mean, uh, Barry Gordy at some point was trying to pair up his male talent with female talent, and that's actually where where songs like It Takes Two, but particularly the songs that that Marvin did with Tammy Terrell. Um, came from um, it, it was Barry Gordy's plan to kind of see okay which male and female artists will complement each other, and and really the way he marketed a lot of those um, those duets uh, with Tammy, I, I think they even released a couple of albums. I mean there was a massive hit, uh, um, you, you know that those two had together. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't nothing like the real thing. 
I mean, my favorite, which was actually my, my wife and, and my w- uh, wedding song, which is uh, You're All I Need to Get By. Mm-hmm. That was our first dance. Oh. We loved that song. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, though, Marvin, as you say, he, he did fall in love quite easily, but he loved strong and deep. And, and many people, no one really has a definitive answer, but many people believe that he was he was madly in love with, with Tammy, mm. um, even while he was married to, to Barry's sister. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, he, he, was, he was kind of torn, especially when they were on tour. Yeah. Um, now, no one knows exactly what or, 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 or if anything happened, but she was so uh, um, pivotal in, in, in sort of the next phase of Marvin's career. So, so when, when uh, she, okay, the, it's a sad story, but ultimately, Tammy Terrell, um, in 1967, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Hmm. Um, and she spent uh, uh, three years, roughly three years, fighting hard to, to get rid of the, the tumor. Hmm. Um, and this affected Marvin deeply. And really kind of like the big bomb that dropped is when she did uh, eventually pass away hmm. um, in 1970. Hmm. And it's... Um, it, it's it it kind of um, uh, it exaggerated his depression. Mm. He completely became a recluse. Um, he he was he was he was undergoing therapy. Um, he stopped performing altogether. He stopped recording altogether, and and he ultimately just was trying to come to terms with the death of of Tammy. Mm. Um, and during this period, when he was completely away from the music industry, the the all the women. The, the you know the drugs and the alcohol and all that stuff. He really started to think deeply about the world, mm. um, and and I think it's important to understand that up to this point, um, it was guys like Marvin, uh, um, uh, Bob Dylan, and and sort of that that kind of white American folk movement that were trying to be um, conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marvin was really um, the, the first sort of soul artist to absolutely take that that idea and genuinely put it out in a way that uh, was indescribably soulful mm. was still R&B but the songs that he started to write most notably what's going on um, were uh, were incredible the lyrical content was, was deep there was so much depth to the material mm. and um, so he records what's going on mm-hmm. he releases the, the song it becomes a number two Bobo uh, Hot 100 hit which is as massive, well, almost as massive as a number one hit, but it ultimately uh, buys him a little bit of uh, power with regards to Barry Gordy. Because at this stage, Barry's like, ah, that was a fluke. I still want to do kind of my bubblegum pop Motown stuff. And Marvin basically says to him, yeah, but look what my song did. This is a conscious song. It's just talking about the world, uh, the planet, um, violence, um, you know, all these kind of things. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and he convinces Barry Gordy ultimately to give Marvin almost complete control over his his creativity. And he writes and produces um, and arranges the album What's What's Going On. And What's Going On is one of the most important albums in the history of music, period. Even today Um, it is. Even today it is. Absolutely. It's always ranked in the top 10 greatest albums of all time, um, hands down. But but why it's such an important album for soul R&B is because it, it... it, it ushered in um, a new conscious wave in soul music in the 70s. Um, Stevie Wonder, 
who's for, for me Stevie's greatest album was Songs in the Key of Life. Of course, basically says that Songs in the Key of Life would not have happened if it wasn't for what's going on and what Marvin Gaye did. Yeah, Stevie was so inspired by what Marvin was doing with um, with new creative freedom that he also then from there went went to Gaye and said, "I want that." I want to do what he's doing. Yeah. And so we, we essentially wouldn't have had all these incredible um, songs from Stevie Wonder if it wasn't for Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And, and the list is endless. I mean, everybody at Motown and beyond that, guys like Curtis Mayfield, started making all this kind of conscious soul music, yeah. which for me is absolutely beautiful. And what's going on was really the start of that movement. Yeah, so I suppose uh, it's the song that uh, started uh, a deep and reflective consciousness in the music space, uh, that song by Marvin Gaye, where he was given creative right to also be producer, as RJ just said. I think we should hear it. Welcome back. It's uh, almost a quarter to three. Uh, we are in our music feature, of course, uh, with uh, uh, we're zoning in on the music of uh, the incredible, incredible Marvin Gaye with uh, R.J. Benjamin. That song is amazing. It's beautiful, R.J. Uh, but then there would come a song. <laughs> that uh, remains the quintessential sex song. <laughs> even, in 20, even in 2019, uh, and and uh, you know uh, because uh, it, it it was unlike most of the work that he'd done before this sexual healing yeah. song. Yeah, it was. You know, I mean, it's quite fascinating. I remember Musa. Uh, he was the, the guy who won Idols in 2013, mm-hmm. and I was working on Idols at the time. And I remember he 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 did uh, he sang sexual healing, mm-hmm. and that I mean we were in a the, that particular auditorium. I think had about five thousand. The crazy idols fan and they i mean when he started singing i was in the audience i mean i just it, you, i thought the roof was gonna uh, come off and literally just that beginning that intro of the song people re- were already losing their minds it's, that song spans generations it's, yeah it's quite an unbelievable piece of music uh, but, and what's but, fascinating for me about it is um it, it was such a different side of uh marvin like you almost couldn't you felt happiness, like genuine happiness from mm, the guy. Mm. But, but but proceeding uh, uh, or around the same time, uh, mm, be, it mm. was leading somewhere. All of this because uh, he's yeah. a guy who also uh, had had uh, a lot of money, uh, but mm. uh, uh, struggled a lot with fame. I know there was a time when he yeah. moved to Europe, um, yeah, you Belgium, know, yeah. uh, to Belgium, and you know he spent some time there because he mm. just uh, could not he could not deal with a lot of. Of, of things in the states um and you you said something interesting earlier on about about Barry Gordy um and 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 sometimes in the documentaries uh, I was reading I do get that Barry Gordy of course was first and foremost a businessman and Motown yeah. was first and foremost uh, uh, a movement but there was also a lot of interference um you know uh in yeah. in 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 the lives of the artists that were in the stable but some say um Motown was not just a stable it was it 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 was a family um, yeah. y- you know, and then Coke came, Coke and alcohol, yeah, yeah, and no, I, and all I these mean, other things. It's, it's so tragic, but it, it, and I don't quite know why the entertainment industry um, in general, like, uh, uh, have this issue. But I think it's, you know, it's, it's a combination of. Um, some people who possibly didn't get the love that they needed when they were younger, mm. um, they suddenly gain all this uh, attention and they don't know how to handle it. Mm. Um, it's, uh, uh, 
we see it in South Africa. I think it's sometimes exaggerated by social media. I, I, I can't imagine how an artist like Marvin Gaye would have survived, um, you know, in the in the era of Twitter and Instagram and all uh, and, and all this added pressure that I think artists feel, you know, because you you get this kind of false love mm. in those days. You know, it's still kind of, it's not, as much as people absolutely love and adore you, and people did when Marvin performed, no doubt about it, um, uh, and they still saw him as, you know, even if it, this was a, a kind of dilapidated, drugged up Marvin Gaye who was sweating on stage and kind of looked like he was he was about to pass out, you know, mm. people still adored him, and you can think, I mean, Michael Jackson was the same thing, you know, um, I, I just think he, he, he struggled to to get a, a handle on it, you know, and I, and I think, like so many uh, um, uh, artists who unfortunately maybe are missing something inside, like the thing that fills that gap is cocaine or um, or, or alcohol, you know, or, or some kind of escapism, just to kind of manage it, to kind of deal with it, and it's just a pity. And also, I think what, what does happen is you surround yourself with yes people. You know, mm. Marvin Gaye is one of the greatest soul singers of all time. There's no doubt he had people around him um, that were saying, sure, you want something to help with that? You want this? Are you feeling, you know, lonely? Should I get you, I don't know, an escort, whatever it may be? Uh, do, do you need upper, You can get you know? anything you want at any given time, and that's not normal. Yeah. Because uh, not. No, normal life means you have to experience some no's. Uh, you know, yeah. that's what normal life is, and you have to contend with accepting the fact that certain things will not be at your disposal. But it's not normal to live a life where you can have, at any given time, anything yeah. or even anyone that you mm-hmm. want at any time. Yeah, I, I mean, he made a really good call going to, to Europe and Belgium and, and re, rehabilitating himself, ultimately. Mm. Um, there's, there's this really cool footage um, on YouTube. Uh, I don't know what you, you search for, but it kind of looks like you're watching a scene, uh, like one of those um, scenes in Rocky where he's running on the beach. And kind yes, of like that's where I learned that Marvin Gaye was a runner. I was surprised. I never knew this. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite incredible footage. And it just looked like he was like a boxer or, you know, like a yes. you know, like going like, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to knock people out of For me or, at know, that time, he looked like he was fighting to just retain himself, to just, yeah. you know, be the best Marvin that he can be. And to almost, it's almost as if when he was in Belgium, when he was in Europe, to me, on the documentaries that I looked at yesterday, he looked the happiest. He did. I he mean, looked it's, the it's, happiest. It's, that, that's the best Marvin like uh, I, I have ever seen mm. in terms of footage. And, and and what's fascinating about it is that's what um, that's where sexual healing was born out mm. of that, out of those feelings. Mm. And and when you watch Marvin Gaye performing sexual healing at the I think it was the 1984 Grammys, either mm-hmm. 83 or 84 Grammys, mm-hmm. he looks. It's a celebration. There's something about him that is so joyous. Yeah. And I think it was one of those rare moments in Marvin Gaye's life because he definitely had a tragic life. He was definitely um, stricken with lots of issues of de- uh, depression, probably yeah. bipolar in this day and age. Yeah. But um, he, he was so happy then, you know. I mean, that same depression is what ultimately led to him moving back to his parents' house. And and yeah. and, and from, from the little I read, living in his mm. parents' house was probably, we know it's one of the worst decisions he made because it ended up taking his life. But, yeah. uh, but they say there was constant and almost unending bickering between him and his yeah. father. Yes, almost threats. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think in a, in a normal household, you would, you would just, just, you would assume it's idle threats, 
Mm. Um, you know, um, if you do that again to me, I'm going to kill you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and sadly, it wasn't um, because his dad did have a gun mm. and his dad had threatened apparently to shoot him. Mm. This, uh, this had been an ongoing, as you say, um, argument. There was a lot of bickering with the, with the kind of rhetoric going on. And his mom and dad um, had, you know, one big fight. Marvin decided he's going to intervene. He doesn't want his dad. Mm. He wants to protect his mom. Mm. And his dad threatened to shoot him. And this time, he actually did it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you saw the same doc- documentary that I watched, but uh, it was one really interesting documentary where, um, uh, where, the, where there was a guy basically saying, had his dad just shot him once? Because there were two, two shots. Mm. And ultimately, the the first shot was just an injury. The yeah. second shot, which he was, wanted to finish him, he wanted to finish him. It was the kill shot. Yeah. And um, I think there's even footage of his uh, uh, of his dad, kind of, um, uh, uh, or, or I don't know if it's his dad, but there's somebody who basically says, you know, like if if I just if he had just not not done that second shot, we would yeah. still have Marvin Gaye. In fact, we would have both of them. Yeah, um, and it's it's a, such a tragic story, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that the demons yeah. were were both his and his father's. Uh, they were not just his alone, and he probably, uh, to some yeah. extent, also might have inherited his father's demons. But isn't yeah. isn't the beauty of your industry the posterity of the music that no matter what happens, uh, we get left with this body of work that tells yeah. the story of the footsteps of your life, and that is amazing. I, I mean that that for me is also part of the reason why I love albums because it's kind of like this it's it's a map or it's like you know it's the, it's the river of life of of my life it's the chronology of my life wow. and and I tell it through my albums and with Marvin it's it's so it's so obvious if you were to go from his very first hit stubborn kind of fellow all the way up to sexual healing you can almost kind of track what was going on in his life uh, and the, and the things he was dealing with. And I think we're very lucky that his, his, his uh, sexual healing, which ultimately was his major final song, Swan Song, kind of was this piece of celebration. Mm. And it really is, you know. Mm. And, and we've got it for the rest of time. That yeah. song is going to be playing on dance floors for the rest of time. That song is known by people that don't even know that his name is Marvin Gaye, but they know that song. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Let's play that song. And thank you for your time, RJ. Anytime, any pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Here's that uh, quintessential Marvin Gaye song, Sexual Healing.